Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. I'm your host, Skylar Sig Daddy Sigman, and this is the WrestleMania 10 review. We'll be looking back at the 10th ever WrestleMania emanating from Madison Square Garden. Jeremy J.O. is returned, has returned to the podcast and uh, will be joining me on this week's episode. How are you doing, Jeremy? I'm good. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me again. Uh, no problem, man. Glad you could join me and watch this uh, this uh, WrestleMania that was during a kind of an interesting time for WWE because the business, at, like from this point forward, you look at WrestleMania 10 and then you go through the buy rates of each WrestleMania following it. Okay, so like this one did 420,000 pay-per-view buys. This one did. It, it was not bad. Not It's all right. But yeah, then it was down from the previous year, WrestleMania 9, by just about 10,000. But then after this, WrestleMania buy rates drop dramatically. There is a steep decline. So WrestleMania 11, 340,000 buys. So almost an 80,000... 80,000 pay-per-view buy drop just in one year. And then WrestleMania 12 drops down to 290,000. And then 13, which if you know, is the Austin Bret Hart match. Um, submission match, the infamous blood on the face submission match. Uh, for Steve Austin's writhing in pain. Uh, that one, believe it or not, only got 237,000 pay-per-view buys. Damn, so a lot of people missed out on that iconic moment. Yeah, That's well, well, you know, somebody, uh, a future WWE Hall of Famer uh, was starting to steal some people, uh, steal some uh, of some of those buys. Uh, Mr. Eric Bischoff in WCW, he stole a lot of those buys, I'm pretty sure, back in, right. back then when, they, when WCW, that 96 through about 98 period, I think, it, that 80-plus week reign, of dominance for WCW Monday Nitro, right. but but uh, yeah, that's a that's a story we can tell a little bit late, tell at another time. But yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, WCW and how kind of how this it's a weird point in time for the for WWE, as you'll see a lot of people leave not too long after this. But uh, but uh, we start out the show actually. Let's look at the date. March 20th, 1994, Madison Square Garden, attendance 19,444. I miss WrestleMania's being in arenas. How about you? Oh, my God, 100%. Like, one of the th best things about wrestling, sports entertainment, is the crowds. The crowds are part of the environment. It makes wrestling wrestling. And the reason wrestlers work their asses off is to get those reactions from the fans. So it's difficult to have those same feelings without hearing, getting the energy, the buzz from hearing the fans. There's no pop, no heat. It's just sad times. Yeah. Oh, well, well, right now. Yeah. I was referring to like, not just empty arena, but I was talking about like stadiums instead of uh, uh, in arenas. Cause I like the, the arena WrestleMania is better than the like outdoor WrestleManias. I just, 
supposedly from what I heard, I've heard other wrestlers say this, but there's like an echo kind of. I, I, okay. I see what you're saying now, but I, I don't know. I kind of, that's, I kind of do like the uh, outside uh, giant stadiums. Um, I know. Cause WrestleMania is the biggest show. It's one of the biggest shows when it's on. So, you know, for it to feel like the biggest show, it has to be one of the biggest arenas in front of the biggest crowds. Um, but I can kind of see where the wrestlers are coming from. I definitely do. Cause in a smaller stadium, obviously it's smaller, but because it's smaller, I say that with quotes because it's still a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's a little more intimate in a way. Yeah, I think that's what I, I think I like better is the intimate the intimacy of the fans kind of into it. I don't know why I used intimacy like that, but it was kind of that's kind of <laughs> odd. But but uh, it's, yeah. it's more of an intimate experience because you got the with the smaller arena with not like a smaller arena, it's still nineteen thousand people in a right. jam packed yeah. in a building. But the sound reverberates better off off a off the ceiling of a, an arena, other uh, not other, but like a, in comparison to like an outdoor stadium, because because all the sound goes just the sound outside just goes up, <laughs> and it doesn't stay in the arena. <laughs> yeah, well, they're able to build off. Yeah, I, I got you there. Um, the, for the show, the commentary, commentary team, Vince McMahon and Jerry, the King Lawler, we get the WrestleMania song to kick off the show. Um, we also get shown the competitors for the double main event. Um, and then we get little Richard, the original wild man of rock and roll with the choir in tow singing America, the beautiful, which is, it was pretty dang good. In comparison to WrestleMania number one, if you ever watch that, which you can find it in the archives, my review of that, shameless plug, uh, uh, it's it's a little interesting because it's such a dramatic difference from WrestleMania number one to WrestleMania 10 because we have Mean Gene singing the national anthem the first time, and he, like, speeds through it. Like, it's the world's fastest national anthem. But then we have little Richard here with all of his show, uh, show business type stuff. It's a it's a lot of fun, and we and it's kind of what we've seen over the years. It's evolved so much. We had that WrestleMania 24 one with uh, John Legend singing it, which was pretty yep. pretty dang cool. Yeah. But, uh, but we get things kicked off at WrestleMania 10 with brother versus brother, the Rocket, Owen Hart taking on Brett, the Hitman Hart, and the falling out for this. Falling out for Brett and Owen uh, began at Survivor Series with the hearts all on one team. So Owen's running off the ropes and he hits Brett off the apron and into the guardrail. Owen then gets rolled up and actually Owen's the only heart brother that gets eliminated after this match. Oh, in this match. And then they start arguing after the match. And then two weeks following Survivor Series, Owen lays out a challenge to his brother and he's tired of being in the shadow of Brett understandably so it's we've seen this storyline time after time after time in wrestling Uh Uh he wants his brother one-on-one and then one week later brett says no says under no circumstances that he's not going to take on his brother there's no way he's going to do it and then christmas weekend brett says they sat down to resolve things and didn't want to fight he brett said he didn't want to fight owen 
and they're going to take the titles, tag titles from the Quebecers at the Royal Rumble. And he says, United we stand, divided we fall. But during the tag match at the Royal Rumble, Owen reaches for the tag, but Brett can't make it because his knee is injured. Owen, after the match, kicks the knee out of Brett, kicks, kicks the knee, kicks Brett's knee out from underneath him, starting this whole storyline. Really, and Owen believes uh, Brett has held him down his whole entire life and he's going to beat him. And then that's when he was being interviewed by Johnny Polo. If you recognize him, uh, if you recognize him, if you're watching WrestleMania, if you watch WrestleMania 10, that's Raven. <laughs> yes. It's so I had to I had to double check that one. He was like, wait a minute. That, that that looks like him, but I wasn't sure. So I had to look up like, you know, history of that. And yeah, I was actually that surprised me. I didn't catch it immediately. Yeah. It's it's kind of an interesting you see him a couple of times, I think, during the show. He's a manager in one of the matches, later matches on this show. And then I put a question mark on my notes. I put, who is this ring announcer? So I find out this before the podcast starts, it's Bill Dunn. I have no clue who this guy is. But later on, we'll see Fink there for a moment or two. But really, this opening match, I don't know about you, but me, this is the greatest opener in WrestleMania history. The only one that even comes remotely close to this one is Daniel Bryan versus Triple H at WrestleMania 30. And that's still a step behind this one. I know the match was so good. I almost thought they did it a disservice of putting it uh, first, like as to open, because normally they save, like they sprinkle like the main events, the good matches throughout the show. But I think they, it was such a good match that it almost went perfectly first, because you know the audience is still fresh, ready for WrestleMania start, full of energy still. So I think that definitely added to the environment of the match. Um, but Definitely, like, I agree. Definitely, definitely a great opener. Yeah, it, like, I don't know how you could... It's like, everything is like, okay, it's like, how the heck do you top this after... It's like, you're going on after this. You're like, well, I'm effed, pretty much. But uh, really, this is... they, they Brett and Owen, this is the first time they've touched in a ring in WWE, I, I'm, from, I'm pretty sure... And it's kind of like a anything you can do, I can do better kind of match at, at, at certain points, especially in the beginning portions. Owen at one point does attack. He starts attacking the knee of Brett. And he goes like, he doesn't go like normal. He just goes full at it. Like it, because normally you see matches, they just go after, I hit a couple of moves on it, like go after a limb for a few seconds. No, Owen mm-hmm. is just full bore on this knee of Brett. And he continues to, uh, Attack, 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 attack on this thing. Right, because I think, I know, I thought it was good because that's what one of the things Brett was also really known for is his uh, ring technicality where he would uh, target just a limb or something of his opponent just to weaken them for the match. So it was really interesting to see Owen do that to Brett. And just, yeah, the chemistry between them was really great. And even though it's a story, brother versus brother, that – like you said, used so many times to tell stories in wrestling. You got to think since it's the hearts, it's it's a story I want to hear. Mm-hmm. It's the great great ingredients in this recipe. Yeah, and it's just yeah, yeah everything mixes well, and you just you you it's just a, such a natural thing a brother versus brother rivalry. 
it's one's getting overshadowed by the other. And this was the case with Brett and Owen. And later on, we saw that with Jeff and Matt Hardy to a similar degree, but not mm-hmm. near to the in-ring level of these two guys no. who, who were the no. probably the best at who were two of probably the best at the time, along with Sean. Oh, 100%. Um, the, the reason, like you said, the reason the story is used so much is because it's relatable. Like we've all, ha- there's siblings and even people who don't have siblings, but are they have people that they feel they're in the shadow of. So it's a really good story for people to get into and to relate to. That's what fueled, it, fueled, fueled this feud so much. And uh, back to that thing where you said it, like it, uh, what was it shouldn't, I don't know if you said it shouldn't, shouldn't have opened, but yeah, it, it's just, uh, I don't know. It, I, you have to just go out of your way to watch it because it's, it's a freaking masterpiece. So here's the later portion of the match. So Brett, uh, Brett's out there with hits the rights. Owen misses. Brett grabs a sleeper. Then Owens gets a sneaky little low blow with a ref distracted. Uh, Owen locks in the sharpshooter on Brett in the middle of the ring. Brett then reverses it, locks in the sharpshooter himself. I always love that is one of my favorite counters. Like, I, I don't know why, but I always love seeing Brett pull out the sharpshooter out of something else. Like, well, he countered his brother's sharpshooter with his own. So it just, that was really cool as well. Right, because he can—he almost pulled it out of nowhere. Like, it was a creative spot. I liked it too. Um, I like it when it's kind of hard for me to explain why I like things like this, but it's when they counter it. I guess it's if it's the same move and they counter it, and it's still the same move. Mm-hmm. Like, counter the sharpshooter into a sharpshooter. I don't know. I just think that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then. You said I, I, I remembered why I was I got my train of thought back. So the disservice thing, it got a disservice by putting him on first, but it really told the story. It led to a bigger part of the story later on in the show when we, we found out. But uh, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, I mean, yeah, with Heinz, uh, the hindsight of it is like, oh, that makes complete sense. But honestly, I almost you could put this match at the main event. It was that good. Yeah, and uh, at the end, so. Brett then punched after Owen gets to the ropes. Brett punched him in the corner. Brett goes for an Irish whip. Owen counters into one of his own, sends Brett to the corner. Owen charges. Brett gets his boot up. Brett then gets on Owen's shoulders, goes for a victory roll, beautiful victory roll, a counter by Owen as he stops his momentum and just pins him to get the upset victory over his brother at 20 minutes and 21 seconds. And yeah, that I, I love the finish of this because pretty much Owen Brett had him. Brett had him where he wanted him, but Owen kind of caught him, and it kind of protected Brett in a way for later in the night. Yeah, I also thought it protected him in whole. You know, um, like I said we know now there was a further story into the pay-per-view um and to have brett lose with just a pin like on his back definitely would have hurt the story uh a lot and it also just protected brett hart as in terms of you know it's brett hart you know you don't want one of your top guys to lose that often so i thought it was a really good um yeah really good way to finish the match yeah and, and 
And I'm going to grade this one. And you probably already know my grade for this one, because this is probably one of my, this is up there with some of my favorite, one of my favorite matches of all time. I'm going to give it an A plus. And I, it's unarguably the greatest opener in WrestleMania history. It told a story just like Daniel Bryan, but it was the first one. It was the first one because Daniel Bryan had to do the same sort of thing, except he had to win his first match. But this mm-hmm. told a great story later on. But unarguably the greatest opener in WrestleMania history. Great story told throughout the match. In-ring psychology was freaking top-notch. Uh, and then also the attack of the back by Owen as well. This, it was just a Brett selling, Owen selling, just everything. It was just a perfect mixture of everything. It's just a masterclass of uh, professional wrestling and one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history, in my opinion. Yep, as I well said, because um, it's the hearts we're talking about, Brett and Owen. Uh, talk about, like you said, ring technicality, ring awareness, their storytelling, their selling, chemistry, A plus all around. And then after that, we get Pettengill, Todd Pettengill with Owen Hart backstage and Owen feels great. And he's now the best there is, the best there was and the best there ever will be. And he says he finally got the recognition he deserved and doesn't believe Brett has any hope of winning the title, the world title later in the night. And then we get shown Coliseum videos, WrestleMania moment from rest. Excuse me, man. WrestleMania two. It's the battle Royal. And, uh, then we get to the ring announcer, which is the president of the hair club for men, and also a client, Cy Sperling. No clue who this guy is, so I died, but didn't know. Talked about his new creation, though, the Fink. So Howard Finkel, the late Howard Finkel, uh, his, hair, his hairline didn't exist. <laughs> he did not have hair most of the time you saw him. But he had a full head of jet black hair here and then howard does introduce this uh next match as the ring announcer and uh it's bam bam bigelow and his main squeeze luna vachon versus doink uh ray apollo uh and dink the clown and this is more this is just a comedy match this is kind of a cool down from the high we got from brett and owen Right, yeah. And when I was watching the match, I tried, I kept that in mind because, you know, I hold it to the standards of what Brett versus Owen was. But it was an all right match. Um, definitely, like I said, definitely a cool down that was needed because you don't want to give the audience too much too soon. Don't want to burn them out. You want to hype them up and then, but then you want to have them come back down for a second. It's like a roll. It's a, Eric Bischoff said this. It's like a roller coaster goes up. The show should go up and down, up and down kind of. And then it's eventually building up to that main event uh, of the show. Cause that should be the complete apex of the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. So th- a lot of comedy spots in this match, a lot of dink avoiding bam, bam and uh, Luna, but uh Late in the match, Doink misses with the leg drop off the top. Big clothesline from Bam Bam. Runs off the ropes. Hits Dink off the apron. Then Doink goes for a back suplex. Bam Bam falls on top for a near fall. And then Bam Bam heads up top and connects with the flying headbutt. And it is over. And I thought this was okay. Like you said, it was a cool down 
from the pie we got from Brett versus Owen. And I thought this was purely filler, but it made sense in the spot it was. And also, I, I noticed this. Some of the spots were very obvious that they were going to miss. Like that leg drop from the top. As So Bam Bam's set up. Like he set up diagonal to the top rope. And it's like, there is no way Doink's landing a leg drop there. It was just, that was a little too obvious for me. And, uh, but still it was an, it was all right. Comedy match. I'm going to give it, a, I'm going to give it a C. What do you, what do you say, J.O.? I see. I gave it a B minus. Like I said, I wasn't going to go off of, I graded it as not as a match, but as a comedy match. So, um, did it achieve what, uh, it tried to do, I'd say, yeah. Like, if Comedy Master, there's some spots that I thought were kind of funny. Um, it's definitely funny seeing Doink, because, again, as a newer fan, never really saw a lot of him, just heard the legend of Doink the Clown, so being able to watch him wrestle was really cool. But not a bad match, uh, B-minus. And then uh, after the match, we get Dink picking a fight with Bam Bam and Luna post-match. So Bam Bam misses with the splash, but Luna hits dink with it and i don't think that was meant to happen because dink didn't sell it at all <laughs> uh, but then we get we like we mentioned earlier like we mentioned uh before we came on to the show we get a fake bill clinton here in the building to act like he was the president which is all it was just incredibly weird and felt completely out of place at wrestlemania i don't know about you but that, that's my thoughts it was, it felt so, so strange. And, and they tried, they, they sold it, right? They didn't say, they didn't say it was an impersonator or was anything like that. They just called him Mr. President and they treated him as such. They, I'm pretty sure I heard the presidential theme when they introduced him. Mm-hmm. And it was just so strange. It, it was just, it was so weird. Just felt, I'm like, this doesn't feel like it's a WrestleMania type of thing i know it was a really good looking impersonator though i'll give them that they did they, whoever they recruited was a pretty good uh, impersonator of bill clinton right definitely was sounded like him and everything looked like him just a little bit but why though like he didn't like he wasn't involved in any of the matches or anything like that he was just there yeah he was just sitting there in the crowd amongst the people <laughs> in his own little special area you saw irs there later but uh his uh, presidential box yeah whatever that means in msg <laughs> but after that we get another wrestlemania moment wrestlemania 3 hogan and andre the infamous slam in the pontiac silverdome iconic wrestlemania moment also another great wrestlemania match happened at that show ricky the dragon steamboat and Randy Macho Man Savage, considered one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. But uh, after that, we get Randy Macho Man Savage against Crush with Mr. Fuji ringside in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Savage jumps him from the start. And this is mainly just a big giant brawl. And the, the weird, this, this is the most confusing stipulation I think I've seen. It's such a weird fault. Like, balls count anywhere to me. It's just, oh, you pin them inside the, anywhere inside the arena, and that's the match. But no, here, you have a different look at the falls count anywhere match. You have to pin your opponent. You have to get back in the ring. And if your opponent doesn't get back in the ring before the 60 seconds, you're declared the winner. 
it's, which is just incredibly weird in my opinion. It just kind of took away some of the goodness of this match. So you have a stipulation with the the person who gets pinned has 60 seconds to get back into the ring. The thing that takes that made me think was balls count anywhere. They're intense, no disqualification matches, and it shows the toughness of some of the wrestlers who are in these matches. But if these uh, these wrestlers are getting pinned like consistently throughout the match, it just doesn't make them look strong. No, it I doesn't. Because, like, Savage got pinned, like, literally about 20 seconds into the match. After he got right. dropped on the guardrail, I'm like, what the freaking heck? <laughs> Savage doesn't get pinned like that easily, ever. No, never. It just makes them look... It doesn't make them look good. And if you're pr- planning out a match like this, you can still have the match play out the same way you want to. Like, all the spots and everything, where you guys want to go. Just don't add the pinfalls, and it would still play out the same. It would build up more drama if they would kick out of stuff. I think. Uh, yeah, I guess that does make sense. I guess it does add another layer of he get he kicks out twice. Will he kick out of the next one? I do see where he's coming there, but it just doesn't make them look strong. Yeah, I know. Make- I, I agree. I agree with that. I thought Savage got pinned way too quickly in this one. And the ending mm. of the match was kind of weird because Savage does hit the elbow drop. He throws Crush out of the ring, pins him, but then Crush gets water dumped on him by Mr. Fuji, which that was kind of smart. I thought that was that was nice. But then Fuji, not Fuji, but Crush gets back in the ring, and then they eventually it spills out into the crowd and then the backstage area through the showers and everything. It's just a big giant brawl. And eventually crush gets hung up by like some cable by his feet. And he's unable to escape after Savage pins him. And then Savage gets to the ring and wins uh, as a uh, crush is not able to answer the uh, 62nd count. But uh, yeah, I was not a big fan of this type of balls count anywhere match. I thought it was fine though. But uh, the finish, I like the finish somewhat. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like the way they got to the finish. That's the that was the one thing. And I, on all honesty, I'm gonna give it a, a C plus. C plus. I gave. I also liked the finish. I thought it was really creative. Um, I always find it really. I always found that I like it when they have finishes that involve the environment like that. Um, and I'll get into some of that later. You can probably guess what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I actually ended up giving it a B. So I looks like I liked it just a little bit more. Again, the only takeaway was I, I just thought that 60 seconds after the pinfall was a weird, strange thing to add to the match. It was an unnecessary layer to add it to the match, I felt like. Yeah. But, uh, after that, we get um, uh, Mooney, not Mooney, but uh, Pettengill back with the fake President Clinton, uh, Erwin R. Scheister, and Clinton. They have a conversation. They've been having their issues, but they'll think they think they'll be able to work things out. And then he talks to Erwin, says he's doing a good job, says something tax related, 
And then they take us, send us to a video package, taking us back to FanFest weekend. Doink was in a dunk tank. People were wrestling, action figures, autographs, opportunity to call a match. Um, lots of fun stuff at these FanFest events. It's grown immensely since that time from 94. It's a whole freaking week dedicated to uh, fan-related yeah. stuff now. Yeah. Uh, saw those, yeah, saw the video, saw the highlights of that, and it definitely looked like it was a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely shows how much WWE has grown in terms of what it's able to do now and what it wants to do for its fans. Yeah, and since, since like, I looked at their, uh, there was a, they posted something today, WWE did, and it was a WrestleMania, not WrestleMania, but their YouTube page has over 75 million subscribers now. That's crazy. If I'm correct, let me look at it real quick. Let me double check. I had to make sure I'm 100% correct on this because I don't want to be looking like a big old dummy. Yep, it's 75 million subscribers now. My freaking goodness. That's in freaking insane. The global reach is incredible. But we after, after that, we get, the, uh, we get Randy Macho Man Savage celebrating in the Paramount Theater. It's the overflow crowd from MSG. Um. And then we get a WrestleMania four uh, moment. And then we get Leilani Kai versus Alundra Blaze for the WWF Women's Championship. And this match doesn't get a whole lot of time. They have to rush. They have to go pretty quickly. But I thought they accomplished a lot in the three minutes. Well, it says three minutes and 20 seconds they had. So they, I feel like they got a lot accomplished in that short amount of time. I would agree. Um Definitely noticed it was a very, very quick match. Um, but it it wasn't noticeable to the fact where I was watching it and felt like it quit it was quick. How do I put this? Like I it engaged me. It definitely engaged me where I was watching it the entire time and it only felt quick because after the match ended, I was like, wait, the match is over already? But I was just I was engaged enough that I didn't really think about the time until I really realized once the match was over how short of a match it was yeah it, it yeah. just it felt incredibly short and actually if you remember if you uh, if you're Wrestlemania buff Leilani Kai was in the first ever Wrestlemania actually she was the she faced off against Wendy Richter and the uh, women's championship ladies championship match at Wrestlemania number one so it was kind of cool to see her about nine ten nine years later here against Alundra Blaze. And Alundra Blaze, I got to say this, she was so far ahead of her time, like in terms of wrestling ability. If she would have came around today, she would have been a freaking huge star. Oh, absolutely. I was watching some of the stuff. She would When I was watching the match and seeing some of the stuff she was able to do, she would have fit in perfect with the WWE Women's Revolution because she, one of those trailblazers early on that showed what women wrestlers could do. Mm-hmm. And she would have fit in just fine in today's modern era. Yeah. yeah. So, so she also said she had Hurricane Rana into this match. In this match, she had a, uh, I got her near fall uh, after an Irish whip. Uh, she Then we had a couple of snapmares. Of the hair pull by Kai. Kai throws Blaze by the, her hair. Double underhook suplex by uh, Kalani, uh, Leilani Kai for a near fall. Then Blaze ducks a clo- running clothesline, boots in the corner, 
whips Kai into the ropes, spinning wheel kick. That was an impressive spinning wheel kick. Uh, suplex for a near fall, then more then a snapmare from Blaze for a near fall. Kai then sends Blaze into the ropes. Blaze ducks a right, hits a beautiful bridging German to get the win at three minutes and uh, 20 seconds. But yeah, some of the offense Blaze hit in this match was super impressive. You see that similar spinning wheel kick uh, from Peyton Royce, uh, and you've seen it from Booker T before too. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, I'm going to give the match a, a B minus. They didn't get a lot of time, but they did the best they could with the time. Wow. Uh, and uh, I just, yeah, just thought that Alundra Blaze could have really thrived in today's wrestling climate. Uh, very similar thoughts on the match. Also gave it a B minus. They did. They worked with what they had, and they worked it really well. And uh, then we get a WrestleMania moment from WrestleMania five, followed by the second ta- second title match of the show, the WWF Tag Team Championship match, Men on a Mission, Mabel and Mo Mabel. You know him more so as Viscera. The, the world's largest love machine, love machine or big daddy V as he was later called and Mo with Oscar taking on the Quebecers, Jacques Rougeau and Pierre Aulette. And then they're accompanied by Johnny Polo, AKA Raven. I got to make a point here before. So Pierre Aulette for the Quebecers is still wrestling to this day. He wrestles in ring of honor as PCO. That is a very long career he's having right now. Yeah, he, he had a resurgence a couple of years ago. I think it started at Joey Janela's spring break. He had a match with uh, Walter, Walter, and they just oh. beat the living crap out of each other. Like it was, it was na- it was a lot of chops. If if you've seen the Walter chops on YouTube, everybody, I don't know if, how, how anybody takes any of those chops because he sounds like he's about to freaking. It's it sounds like it's gonna kill somebody and stop their heart. Cave your chest in. Yeah, and uh, he's actually PCO about a year or two ago. I was like, well, it's about a year, uh, three months or so ago. He actually won the Ring of Honor World Championship for a couple, held it for a couple of months. And he was in his fifth. He's in his fifties. Longevity. Love to see it. Yeah, he actually. I think he left the business for a little bit, then came back, and then he's had this career resurgence. But in this match, uh. Oscar wraps men on a mission out. Then we cut to Todd Pettengill with Rhonda Shear. The uh, heartbreak kid interrupts, wants a photo with her, but missed the man, the myth, the legend, the late Burt Reynolds interrupts. And then we don't even get really to see the Quebecers uh, entrance. Uh, they just jump men from a men on a mission from behind to start. This match goes about seven minutes and 41 seconds. I thought, Throughout this match, everything was fine. I think it was a decent tag team match. I just didn't really like the finish. I I, I hated the finish. In my uh, honestly, I don't know what what do you think? Definitely the finish. The finish was a bit part of the match that I had most to say because, like I say, it was an average match in my opinion. But it was just it, it felt sloppy. Mm-hmm. Just really felt sloppy because yeah, it, it it felt rushed. Also, yeah, it well, only got less. They got less than eight minutes in this match, but there, what I gotta say, one impressive move. There was a huge, like King, uh, he would be later known as King Mabel too, 
but he, Mabel hits a freaking jumping spinning heel kick. That was freaking unbelievable. Didn't know he had that kind of moves in him. Yeah, well, he was very young at that time, but he ha- I'm like, holy crap, I've never seen him pull something out like that. But I was I was super impressed because Owen Owen Hart also does that kind of spinning heel kick uh, move, and he hits it crisp. I think he hits he hit it crisper than anybody though. But Mo does hit that at one point in this match. Uh, was it later in the match? I think it was. Yeah, he did. Uh, then it was a short arm clothesline by Mabel to tag into Mo. I think they hit. I think it's called the whoop. There it is. It's kind of a double team splash on. On one of the Quebecers, Polo distracts the ref. Oscar tries to yank him off the apron. And then another accidental shot to his partner by Jacques. And then then on, then on, they hit the move on the floor, the double-team splash on the outside. The Quebecers then get counted out at 7 minutes and 41 seconds. And that's what that, and that finish I just didn't like. I thought it was okay tag team match-wise. I'm going to give it a C+. But I, the more a bigger problem I had with this was the aftermath of the match, because we had men on a mission celebrating with the belts, even though they didn't win the belts, because you can't win the belts in WWE by disqualification or countout. So I just thought that was weird, and I'm like, why celebrate when you didn't even win the titles? Actually, right? Because I don't know if they were trying to do a heel thing with, even though we. Didn't win the belts. We won, so we're going to hold the belts. But it was just because of that, it was sloppy. It almost made them. It looked like made them look dumb. Yeah, it, I agree. And if you didn't know, if you, I'll put it this way if you didn't know that was the rule, you would have thought they won. But obviously, since there's the rule, they didn't. So it didn't make sense for them to want to celebrate. Um, and for migrating, Decent match overall, just the ending was the worst part of it easily. I gave it a C. Fair, fair enough. Um, after that, we get uh, Rhonda Shear introduced, introduced as the guest timekeeper for this the first WWF championship match of the night. Technically kind of a double, almost like a double main event. Uh, new Kids on the Block member, Donnie Wahlberg is the guest ring announcer for this one. It's Yokozuna defending his WWF championship against, well, he's accompanied by Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette. He's taking on Lex Luger. And if you remember, Lex Luger slammed uh, uh, Yokozuna on a, a military ship back, I think, in the back in the summer. And, but we have that. It's Lex Luger versus Yokozuna for the WWF Championship. Mr. Perfect is the special guest referee, and Yokozuna comes into this match weighing in at a very big weight. Very, very big weight. It's a lot. 568 pounds. The man is massive. And, uh, yeah, Yokozuna just looked huge here. He looked massive. I'm pretty sure... Yokozuna during his time with the WWE, he, to this day, he's still one of the biggest wrestlers in terms of weight. Easily, I, I think I think he is honestly the biggest one in weight ever. If you uh, if you watch the uh, have you watched the WWE Icon documentary on Yokozuna? 
I have not yet. No. Oh, it is. It's great. It's it's a very well done documentary, and it's well. And if you didn't know, Yokozuna is the part of the Anoa'i family, and you know how that family rolls: The Rock, Roman Reigns, Rikishi, all these guys. But really, the one that broke through was broke the broke the barrier, broke the mold for them was Yoko. Yoko was the one that got the got was the first one to get the get get into main event status uh, in that family. Paved the way for, like I said, all those big names. Yep the 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 high the the head of the table, Roman Reigns, uh, The Rock. It, the list goes on and on. Jimmy, Jay Uso, Rikishi. It's just it's the the list is enormous at this point, honestly, with how many uh, Samoan stars there are in uh, WWE. But yep, Yoko was the one that broke the mold, and really this match. This match was a snoozer, complete and utter snoozer, because literally nothing happened for 90% of the match. Nothing happened. Literally, it was Yoko just wrecking Lex and just holding on to this nerve hold for about five or six minutes of the 14-minute match that they had. So, yeah, 90%, you're right about the 90%, because nothing eventful happened until close to the very end. It was but, just... No, I mean, do I felt they could have done more? Absolutely. But I always try to think, I always wondered if, like, if it played more of a part to, again, like, the story later on. So I don't know if that was the plan. But I don't know. It could have been argued they were saving something for later, I guess, in a way. But literally – nothing happens it was mostly nothing in this match but later in the match lex fires up hits the back elbows ducks clothesline needs a belly to belly from yoko then yoko goes back to the turnbuckle pad he exposed earlier in the match tries to ram luger's head into the metal lex blocks it and slams yoko's head into it then lex with a boot in the face in the corner clothesline another one another one takes yoko off his feet scoop slam by lex then Lex hits him with the big forearm. And Lex puts Cornette in the ring, yanks him, throws him into the ring. And then Lex beating up Fuji as well. Lex covers uh, Lex covers Yoko, but perfect. He tries to wake up Cornette and then tries to wake up Fuji. And Lex pushes perfect. Perfect DQs him at, well, 14 minutes and 40 seconds. And it, this match was just a whole lot of nothing. Pretty much 80% of the match, 80-90% of the match was a lot of nothing. And the finish was just kind of a big fart in the wind. I'll say it was Mr. Perfect's heel turn. Could they have done a little more? I mean, it was a heel turn. He did he turned into the bad guy when he DQ'd Lex Luger for I I, I want to say no reason. Like he pushed like him. Mr. Perfect you're the ref. Do your job. There's a pinfall. Count it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wasn't doing that. So Lex Luger was in his right to get upset, and he pushed him. Yeah, technically, if you want to get technical in the rules, you're not allowed to touch the ref. Well, but well you, well, you know WWE rules. They're very freaking all over the place. You don't know. There's not. There's no consistency to WWE rules. But uh, right. I'm, point. But I gotta give. I gotta give Mr. Perfect props on this. His outfit was freaking dope. <laughs> 
the freaking pins. He had the pinstripes all the way down. He had, from shirt to pants. He had the, I'm pretty sure they had like Zubaz pants on. Uh, but it was a sick fit. <laughs> it definitely was. For definitely one of the better dressed guest referees I've seen. And uh, yeah. uh, for grading, gra- I'm going to grade this match. I'm going to give it a D plus. Uh, what say you? I wasn't as bad. I gave that one a C minus because I, I thought the ending was interesting at least. So I just at least gave it a, a D, C plus ish range. Mm-hmm. I think I said C minus. You said yeah. You said C minus. C minus, yeah. Okay, yeah, I got it. I got a D plus, and then we after that we get Pengill with Perfect. Perfect explains himself, and then Lex comes back, super angry as as expected. They get in a big argument. Officials there to separate him, and you know what I see in the background there? A little Easter egg, a young Tony Chimmel. I didn't see that. Yeah, Tony Chimmel was in the background. If you watch WrestleMania 10 back, and that little scrum, you see Tony Chimmel, and you all know him for the being the man for announcing Edge out, doing the rated R superstar, that kind of thing. But I thought that was a neat little Easter egg. Uh, find just finding these people that have worked and worked for WWE for ages. I missed that one. That is really interesting. That's dope. Yeah, because he kind of he's just sitting there in the background. Uh, Ch- Chimmel is, but uh, then we get another WrestleMania moment. WrestleMania seven this time. It's Harvey Whippleman then gets introduced. Harvey calls Finkel a bunch of names. Uh, the only difference is that he has hair on his head. Rips uh, rips. The, I think he's trying to rip the shirt of Finkel. Then Finkel pushes Whippleman down. Adam Bomb comes out there to confront Finkel. Earthquake jumps him from behind. And then we get a match unofficially. I was like, oh, crap, we're in a match now. Okay. Uh, Belly-to-belly suplex after a club to the back by Earthquake. Power slam by Earthquake. And Quake jumps around, causing the ring to shake and the earth to move. He runs off the ropes and then sits on Atom Bomb to get the one, two, three in about 32 seconds. I'm going to give it a D. Not much of a match. Just a pure freaking squash. (laughs) I also gave it a D because there was not much to grade on. Yeah, so it, it was just like came out of the freaking blue. It's like oh, sh-. it's like oh bleep! I'm we're having a match now. Okay, um, and then we get Yokozuna backstage with Pettengill, and then he has to admit, uh, have to admit that Yoko was laying in the ring. That's what Pettengill says. Then Cornette gets on the mic. It says who has the belt. Then Cornette cuts a promo. Mister Perfect did a good job of officiating. Compliments him there. And he says, the question is, will Brett come out with a healthy body and his career intact after the match? I thought this was a really good promo from Cornette. He went on a little too long with it, I thought, but I thought it was pretty good. He says he's going to chew Brett and spit him out. And then then we get the bonsai from Yokozuna, which was pretty dope. But uh, I like the, the, the promo from Cornette here. I just thought he went like, if he would cut it off about 15, 20 seconds earlier, I thought it was a fantastic promo. Yeah, I mean, he got his point across early on in the beginning, but after that, you were just kind of feels like he kind of could have wrapped it up after. Yeah, we all just got it got to the point where it's like, okay, just we just need Yoko to say bonsai, and that's it. (laughs) But then we get WrestleMania, another WrestleMania moment from WrestleMania eight, and then we get one of the big ones, one of the greatest. Uh, ladder matches you'll ever see well one of the the first ladder matches you'll ever see 
one of the first ladder matches you you would see actually in WWE. Yep. It's the first ladder match in WrestleMania history, but it's the second ladder match in WWE history. The first one took place in 1992 when uh, Bret Hart took on Shawn, uh, defeated Shawn Michaels to retain the IC title. And uh, interesting little tidbit from NXT this week, Shawn Michaels brought in, uh, brought uh, a ladder in the ring to show what kind of match uh, Jordan Devlin and uh, Santos Escobar were having for the NXT championship at the upcoming takeover, which I thought that was a cool little thing they did on the show. Very fitting. Why not have one of the pioneers of it? Say it. Yeah, it's uh it's Shawn Michaels uh versus Razor Ramon in a ladder match for the undisputed intercontinental championship. So leading up to this, Jack Tunney initially stripped HBK of the belt. But HBK didn't acknowledge it. Razor then won it in a battle royal, eliminating Rick Martel to win it. Eventually led to this undisputed uh, Intercontinental Championship ladder match. And this is just, it's for being one of the first ladder matches ever, this is a fantastic ladder match. Really sets the bar from it. And it's stuff you'll see in highlight reels from that, that, that you'll see it in highlight reels for forever. It's it's some of the stuff you see Sean hit in this match. It just stands the test of time, really. Oh, definitely, for sure. Like you talked about the highlight reels. I still see, again, what I told you before about only seeing uh, as a newer wrestler wrestling fan, not watching a lot of the old stuff, only seeing highlights. These are the highlights I'm telling you about. Highlights from this match, I do remember, as being as uh, – some of the first uh, ladder matches that you see. And it was a great pioneer in that. It showed, obviously, there's some spots that they didn't do because they probably didn't think of it at the time, but it showed the potential that these ladder matches could have. And there was a lot of innovation in this match. And there's spots in this match that I haven't seen now. Like, there's spots from this match I haven't seen in ladder matches recently. Like, one of the spots was, well... That splash off the top of the ladder, that's just iconic. That's the that's what you'll see in video packages forever. But uh also that ladder match. So when Sean he grabs the ladder, he, he stands up in the corner and he kind of rides the ladder into a splash onto uh Razor. He's like has the ladder in front of him and splashes Razor with it. I haven't seen that spot since then. That is, yeah, that's true. They have not used the, uh that spot. And it also, I think a great thing that I thought about was it could it showed that sometimes less is more because what they use one ladder the entire yeah. match, and some like some ladder matches these actually like a lot of the these days it's not even just a ladder match anymore it's it turns a into TLC a TLC match, match pretty much. It's a TLC match. Even I guess Money in the Bank gets a pass because there's six people, so there might have to be more ladders, but. One ladder, the entire match, and they did so much with it. And they utilized it to the best. They used, a, used it for a baseball slide. They set it up in the corner, throwing Sean off of it. Uh, Razor hits the concrete hard at one point in this. Nice. But uh, Sean also gets his backside uh, exposed during this as well. But he does a nice recovery, hitting an elbow drop off of it. Right. Uh, nice, nice little plus for the female fans in the arena there that night. Yeah, they, well, you saw you saw a lot of you heard a lot of woo kind of yeah. stuff on this uh, on the during this match with that. And uh, we had an early look at a sweet chin music before it was even called sweet chin music. 
during right, this. Because yeah. he ducked a clothesline from Razor at one point and hit the hit the super kick, but Vince doesn't really acknowledge it as what he didn't even call the, he didn't even call the move really. He just kind of I don't know. I don't know. I can't it was kind of hard to explain what Vince did there because I don't even remember him hardly saying anything after that super kick. I don't know. It was such a weird, weird thing to see. It was like almost a, it was almost like a transitional spot. Yeah. Before the super kick became the super kick. And because you think of super kick, you think of sweet chin music, you think of Shawn Michaels, and every time he uses it, one of the commentators is always going to say sweet chin music or super kick and acknowledge it because it's Shawn Michaels. But it was definitely weird to see him do it and them not even say much anything about it. Yeah, it was kind of. Well, I think I think at that time he was still using like the teardrop back suplex as his finisher. I think that was still his finisher at the time, and I think eventually he do- adopted uh, sweet chin music. But I-, I love the match as a whole. It's fantastic. It's something you have to go out of your way here to go out of your way to watch. But I I gotta make I make one comment also. Razor was in fantastic shape here. Oh, he looked amazing. He looked free. He looked freaking ripped. I'm like, goodness gracious, this guy was. He was a big, He wasn't a small dude by any stretch. He was a big man, and he was freaking ripped at this point. So oh, big, tall, and he looked good. Yeah, he looked. He looked fantastic. Um, Razor at one point later on in the match, hip tosses Sean off the ladder. This is the latter portion of the match. Uh, the ladder twists and collapses. Razor climbs up. Michaels drop kicks the ladder. That's the one little one little nitpick I have in this match, as the ladder really didn't move, and then Razor just fell off. That was the only off spot in this entire match. But other than that, it's just a freaking masterpiece. After that, HBK tips the ladder onto Razor, which was incredibly smart from a psychology standpoint. I thought uh, HBK gets Razor up, whips him into the ropes. Razor ducks the clothesline, but HBK hits him with the sweet chin music as we referenced earlier. And uh, then HBK crabs the ladder, climbs the second rope, hits the uh, splash with the ladder in hand. And then he sets up the ladder over Razor's prone body. Razor shakes the ladder, then shoulder blocks it, knocking HBK off the ladder and crotch first onto the top rope. But then HBK gets his leg tangled into the rope. Razor climbs, HBK gets his leg out, but then you notice he also gets his arm out, arm trapped as well. And then Razor grabs the title and is the undisputed Intercontinental Champ at 18 minutes and 47 seconds. I absolutely love the finish of this match. What do you think? Oh, I absolutely loved it because uh, I alluded to it earlier. I love it when they have these finishes that involve the environment in some way. And I just think finishes like that where they get caught or trapped. It just, I don't know. You it's feel just, a sense of urgency there. Right. It's like, yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Urgency. Cause if it, again, if it was just, he hit razor's edge on Sean and he was just on the ground and he was climbing the ladder. There's like, Oh, it's over. But you would have th- kept thinking, Oh, is he going to get out? Is he going to be able to get out? And first of all, I think it should be said that, those uh, wrestling ropes are tight, and sometimes they're not that easy to move. So to be able to get your foot caught in it like that, I think is really uh, impressive for Shawn Michaels to be able to do. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the selling in this match by Sean at the end, especially, was was great. And uh, I thought this was honestly a fantastic ladder match. We our expectations since we've seen so many ladder matches in our lifetimes. It, we don't not sure if it holds up to today, but I thought that. But honestly, I thought this was fantastic and so innovative for the time. And uh, I, I loved it. It's not like the spot fest you'll see today. There was actually some thought and some psychology put into this, in-ring psychology put into this. I honestly, other than that one spot, it was a, it was pretty much a perfect, perfect match. And I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it an A plus. Uh I would agree wholeheartedly. I also gave it an A plus ending was really great. Like I said, in terms of today's ladder matches, uh Ring psychology and storytelling versus a spot fest. It was the ring psychology and storytelling, but it worked. Again, they showed less is more, and they did a good job of doing that. Great match, A+. Plus. Yeah, just, just a wonderful wrestling match. And just, yeah, you got to go out of your way to see this one, the ladder match with Razor and Sean, and also the opener from opener with Brett Noen from this WrestleMania. If that's the only thing you watch from this WrestleMania, it is totally worth it. Just go out of your way and uh, watch it. Then we head back to the, the dressing room where the head shrinkers, IRS, Rick Martel, Fatu, which is Rikishi, uh, Jeff Jarrett, and Afa, I think, are all arguing over who's going to be the captain for this tag team match. And actually, I was a little confused. I'm like, what the heck happened here? So I looked it up. Apparently, there was supposed to be a 10-man tag before the main event, but it got scrapped after HBK and Razor Ramon like went way over on time. Like they went. I they I was went like. Say I did also hear about that. They also he went about ten minutes over because I think initially they were supposed to only go ten minutes, which I'm like, I don't know how you do a ladder match and a good ladder match in ten minutes. You got to have at least fifteen or so. But yeah, HBK went over on time here and people weren't too happy about it backstage and from what i uh, also read up on um the, the officials were in the ref's ear the entire time telling them like, hey you have to end this match but apparently sean sean michaels and Razor ramon said screw that we're gonna have a good match and just kept going and i just think that is so funny it's better that they did because we wouldn't have it would this ladder match wouldn't still be talked about today, honestly. Uh, but yeah, it the 10 man tag was supposed to be the smoking gun. So Barton, Billy Gunn, Bob Holly, Tatanka, and the one, two, three kid, also known as X Pac, taking on the head shrinkers, IRS, Jeff Jarrett, and Rick the model Martel. The model Rick Martel that ended up happening on Raw. Um, then we and get I, the K I think the What were you saying? I was just gonna say. I, think, I was just gonna say the kayfabe way they decided to cut the match. I thought was pretty clever. I'm not gonna lie. I like that how they kind of decided to cancel it just because they couldn't decide who was the captain. It kind yeah. of made sense with who was there, so I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and then we get another Bill Clinton interview. This time it's Ted DiBiase saying if uh, if we can agree on one thing, it says everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. Then Clinton's kind of like, eh, I don't want to get into politics right now. I just want to enjoy the wrestling show. It is, it is, it, I, I could have really done with all, out, without all these Bill Clinton segments on this entire show. A hundred percent. It almost added, it added nothing to 
It added nothing to the show. It literally added like zero. <laughs> but then we get a uh, highlight WrestleMania moment from WrestleMania number nine, just a year prior. And then we get the main event, which was actually, te- which was technically the main, ev- the main event of the year before's WrestleMania at WrestleMania nine. Uh, it was Bret Hart taking on the WWF champ, Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette. And the special guest official this time is none other than Rowdy, Roddy Piper. And then we get a video package hyping up the main event. And man, man, video packages have really evolved over time. Like you see Bret Hart's video package, and then you can see a separate video package for Yokozuna here. Yeah, it just shows how far we've come along in technology since then. Right, because weren't, weren't both of the video packages just like highlights of their matches, like sometimes not even with each other? Just Yeah, it was just random highlights, it seemed like. <laughs> right, was, but now just... video packages today add to the feud is a great way to catch up on the feud if you forget or just starting to watch the match, but yeah way better today yeah it's way better today and the year prior we talked about i just talked about it a moment ago but wrestlemania 9 yoko retained the title after throwing after fuji threw uh salt in the face of brett the hitman Hart. uh but then right after yoko wins the wwf title he loses it Immediately after, Hogan comes out, challenges Yoko, and he wins it about 20 seconds. Uh, and then Hogan would hold the title for about 70 days before losing it to Yoko. And then Yoko, Yoko would go over, and then Hogan would, a little bit later on, go to uh, WCW. We'll talk about that briefly after, after we look at this match. But Yoko at this point had a nine-month reign with the WWE championship, WWF championship at the time. And uh, guest timekeeper, Kelly from Beverly Hills, 90210. I think her name was Jackie Guard, if I'm correct. And then we had the guest ring announcer, Mr. Burt freaking Reynolds. And when they introduce it, when he introduces the, uh, the special guest referee, Burt does, freaking Piper comes out to a freaking enormous pop. It's and it's an insane freaking pop. Nine years later, he's at the he was at the first WrestleMania, still like he and he was a heel at that time. But he's he's gained so much goodwill with the fans at this point that he is just a, he just super over. Couldn't 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 buy a boo if he tried to. Yeah, even as a he, he, like it's like almost like a flare like sympathy he has with the fans pretty much at this even at this point in his career he's. And he's deep into his career at this point, actually. Mm-hmm. And then and then we get Brett coming out afterward. Uh, he's limping out, selling that injury from the uh, prior match. And this match is mostly Yoko dominating for the most part in this. But Brett has these little hope spots where he comes back for about 10 seconds or so before Yoko hits a big move on him and then kind of goes back to his offense. Eventually... Yoko and uh, Roddy get into it. Yoko hits the leg drop on Brett, the back of his head. Yoko Yoko asks Brett to get up. Uh, Yoko then throws Brett out of the ring. Roddy's counting him out. Brett beats the 10 count. 
Then Yoko attacks Brett in the corner. Yoko bites Brett, keeps on the offense, whips Brett into the corner, goes for the big hip strike in the corner, misses. Second rope bulldog by Brett for an ear fall. Brett then heads to the second rope, forearm drop for another one. Brett hits some rights, running clotheslines, take, takes Yokozuna down. Then Yoko kicks out at two once again. Brett hops, the, hops off the second rope, but Yoko beautifully catches him and hits a fantastic belly-to-belly suplex on him. Drags Brett to the corner, goes for the bonsai drop, loses his balance, and hits his head on the mat. Brett covers him and wins the championship at 10 minutes and 38 seconds. I forgot to mention earlier on, Roddy knocked out Jim Cornette with a right hand outside of the ring after Corny got involved, pulling Brett's leg out of the ring. But yeah, Yoko loses his balance off the top rope and Brett pins him and wins the championship at 10.38. I thought this was smart in a way as it protected Yokozuna. It just kind of, Yoko just kind of slipped on a banana peel and lost pretty much. Because you notice right after the match, if you watch it back on the network, well, it's going to be on Peacock now here in a few weeks. Uh, it's already on Peacock, but the uh, WWE Network will end in a few weeks. But if you watch it back, Yoko just kind of loses his balance, and then Brett pins him. And, but Yoko kicks out like right after the three count, which kind of protected him in a way. I thought this had some nice momentum switches throughout. I wish they would. I wish Yoko would have actually went after the leg of Brett during it, since Brett had been selling the leg the whole entire night. Right, and I think. I think Yokozuna, uh, Yokozuna, um, Dominic, most of it is still great storytelling because obviously Brett had an awesome match with Owen. Is beat the is beaten. Really did a great job of selling that leg as you like just limping to the ring. Like you don't see a lot of that uh, today, and so it would make sense for him to not be able to control most of the match. Of course, it's Bret Hart, so he still has some fight in him. So we saw some of that during the match. But I agree. Like it, you would think Yokozuna saw him limping into the towards the ring. I mean he jumped jumped him as soon as he got into the ring, so you would think he tried targeting that, but you really didn't see a lot of that during the match. No, and I, and I thought that would have that could have been a it could have made the match a little bit better. And I understand it's kind of, it's pretty much like a David versus Goliath battle uh, in the match. But I, I, I thought that the finish was smart in a way. I was going to give it a uh, B minus. What, what, what's your thoughts? I gave it a B. Um, I just really like the storytelling in it. Um, and Bret Hart, probably one of the best sellers in WWE history, did a great job of pushing, of telling that story of he's hurt and this is going to be a tough match. And it showed, like I said, he did not get a lot of offense in throughout most of the match, just a few spots here and there, but he still managed to pull it out. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about the ending of the match, I don't know if you had anything uh, you already had set aside to talk about, but I really like the ending of the match in terms of the aftermath. Oh yeah. Aftermath. I was about to get into that because, because afterward we have Luger in the ring with Brett after the match. They, they were co-winners of the Royal Rumble, which has never happened in the history of the Royal Rumble. Initial, technically, kind of ha- almost happened at WrestleMania, at the Royal Rumble 2005 with Cena and Batista, but, <laughs> where Vince McMahon infamously 
tore both quads, <laughs> stomping his way to the ring, getting into the ring. But uh, no, it's yeah, it was the only time they were they were co-winners of the Royal Rumble. They stare at each other for a second. Brett extends his hand. Luger and him shake hands. Piper and Luger shake hands. Piper and Luger, not Piper and Luger, but Piper, Piper and Hart shake hands. Uh, the faces kind of clear the locker room. Tatanka, one, two, three, kid, Razor Ramon, Bob Holly, Randy Savage, and the celebrities all come out to congratulate Bret Hart. They raise Bret on his shoulders as we're closing out WrestleMania. Gorilla Monsoon's also in there as well with McMahon and Pat Patterson in the ring. But the the closing, the closing that that close was, I think what they don't do this at, at the end of WrestleManias ever anymore. They don't do that where they like leave some kind of story open for post WrestleMania. So at the end of this, they have Owen standing on the ramp, staring at his brother, shaking his head as he celebrates his title win. That is so good. That is great storytelling. And that's that, that makes me want to watch something later on. <laughs> that makes me want to find out what's going to happen. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Because the way they almost do it now is a lot of the time these days, WrestleMania is the end of storylines where everything ends. And then the Monday night after they start new. So most, not all, but most feuds end. But this one, like I said, perfect way to keep us interested to see what was going to happen next. Or just that little moment there at the end. Yeah, it was just a little small moment, but it felt so huge. And we it, like, and with the storytelling starting, we started earlier on in the night with the with the Owen Brett match. Well, Owen now has oh, he's like oh, I should have a right to have a title match now because guess what? I just beat the champ. I technically beat the champ now, and. uh this would lead. This would lead to a uh, WWF. I'm pretty sure a WWF Championship Steel Cage match at SummerSlam later on that year. So that storyline would go all the way towards a SummerSlam in 1994. But yeah, and that that cage match, it's just as good, probably if not better, than this Brett Owen match from WrestleMania 10. So we'll have to pro- check that out sometime as well. But uh, overall for this show. I think I'm, I'm going to give it a B. It gets a slight bump for me just because of the two matches, the Sean, uh, the Sean uh, Razor Ramon match and the oh, Bret Hart, Owen Hart opener. Because really those are two all-time great matches in this WrestleMania. That's why it's slight, I bump it up slightly to a B. Because I was at, I was like sitting on teetering B minus uh, B range, and I'm like, I'm going to go with the B because these are two all-time great matches. I also I also gave it a B, um, but I wasn't teetering on a B B minus. I was more te- uh, teetering on B plus because um, the good matches that they have were good matches, great matches. Um, definitely some forgettable ones in there. Um, the Bam Bigelow match, uh, that squash match with uh, Adam Bomb and Earthquake really did need to be on there, but. Definitely overall as a pay-per-view, definitely one of the better WrestleManias. Yeah, I thought it was pretty I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was well balanced because it kind of they knew booking-wise, they couldn't like have too many highs, too many lows. It kind of went it kind of went up and down as the show went along. I thought they did a decent job of balancing out, but yeah, nothing really absolutely horrible other than maybe I in my opinion, the Luger Yokozuna match, that was completely, completely forgettable on this show. 
Yeah, which is a shame because it was was part of the. I mean, it's Lex Luger and Yokozuna. You'd think they'd be able to do something just a little more, but wasn't the best. No, but uh, it, the more interesting thing is after this. So yeah, B grade for the show uh, for me, and then a B grade from Jo for the uh, WrestleMania ten. The interesting thing after this is I I wanted to, I was like I was look, looking at the show. I'm looking at the card and everything, and I'm like. It's like, oh my gosh, like look, a couple, about a year, year and a half later, a lot of these people are not even working for the company anymore. That is true. Because let me, let me give you a little bit of a, let me give a little bit of a rundown. So, so uh, Hogan, he'd start appearing for WCW in March of that year. So around that time, that's when he started appearing for WCW. Piper would join WCW in the fall of 1996. Randy Savage would jump over to WCW in late 1994. Luger would go to WCW in 1995, famously showing up on the debut episode of uh, Monday Nitro. Hall and Nash would later would show up there in uh, mid-1996. And uh, you just look at it, it's like most of the guys on this card ended up in WCW. Lundra Blaze ended up with WCW in 1995, where she infamously dumped the WWF women's title in the trash. Iconic moments. She, she, yeah, that was immediate regret for her. She did not like that. Because I think Bischoff kind of coaxed her into it. She, like, immediate, I think she immediately regretted that moment. But it was, it's just so weird at the time with that. Because almost, like, most of these people are gone like we're gone from the company about a year year and a half or two later yeah it's sad to think about because they put on these great matches at the biggest show for the company and then just like that they're gone yeah like uh bret hart was gone in 1990s by 1997 about three years about three and a half years later he's gone after the montreal screw job yeah it was just an interesting time because it was really after this show it was kind of a at about 1995-96, it was kind of a real turning point for WWE. Definitely had some of their biggest challenges um, of that year with most of their talent leaving. Yeah. It, yeah, they had to create new stars. They had to figure out a way to create new stars. They eventually got theirs in a Mr. Stone Cold Steve Austin, who would become one of the biggest stars in wrestling history. But hope you all enjoyed that review of wrestlemania number 10 glad jeremy could join me on the show we have uh, lots of great stuff coming up i'm looking i'm trying to figure out what content we're going to do here soon uh kind of i have an idea of what i want to do i'll uh relay more information to you later as i uh formulate these ideas in my head but uh coming up i think next week i'll have a wrestlemania 21 review I'll be joined by the uh, Stranger Rings podcast. Uh, they're they're on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Rings One. Yes, that is Stranger Rings One. Yeah, the Stranger Rings podcast. I'll be joined. They'll be joining me on the show for a WrestleMania 21 review. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm joining them for an episode this week. So I'll be recording with them coming up on. Uh, Friday. This is being recorded on Thursday, not Friday, but I'll be recording with them on Saturday. I'll be recording a WrestleMania 19 review with them, and that WrestleMania has some uh, pretty pretty good matches in it. Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels, um, 
Also, Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle. So some great stuff coming uh, on both the Stranger Rings podcast and Sig Daddy's wrestling show here soon. Um, thank you again, Jeremy, for joining me on the show. Really uh, glad we got an opportunity to watch this back and uh, looking forward to hopefully watching another WrestleMania before the real WrestleMania, the big WrestleMania, takes place here in a couple of weeks. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, you want to plug your social medias? Yes. Uh, if anyone out there wants to give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram, because that's really all I have, it's at Jeremy Ordas, O-R-D-A-S, last name. Uh, first thing, how it sound. All right. All right. Then if you want to follow the podcast, make sure to follow the podcast at Sig Daddy Wrestle on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, SigDaddy.Wrestle. And make sure... If you like the podcast, make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Really enjoy getting feedback. And if you want to give me feedback, you can send me a DM on Twitter, like I said, at SigDaddyWrestle. And if you haven't already, make sure to tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Amazon Music, we're even on there too. So plenty of places to uh, find the podcast and listen to it. Yep. Thank you again, Jeremy, for joining the show. But that's going to do it for me on the show. So for Jeremy and myself, this is Skylar Sig Daddy Sigmund signing off. Thanks for listening and so long, everybody. <laughs>